Welcome to the Gateworld podcast. This is episode number 61 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about the long-running Sci-Fi Channel awesome series Stargate. Today we've got a little bit of Stargate news and features to catch you up on. Features from the site. And then we will give you a preview of our brand new interview with Stargate Atlantis actor Joe Flanagan, who plays Colonel John Shepard. And then we'll get to our main discussion, and our main discussion topic today is... Stargate the Ark of Truth. Stargate the Ark of Truth. The very first directed DVD movie. First of many, we hope. This is interesting because I'll record the podcast and then I'll get on an airplane to fly to the UK. And by the time the podcast is actually up being listened to by people, I will be in the UK. There you go. Stargate News. Here are your headlines from GateWorld for September 23rd, 2009. Countdown is continuing to the premiere of Stargate Universe. A couple weeks ago, Sci-Fi started sending out their press kits, which is a really pretty blue book. Uh, hardcover, full-color pages uh, with all the cast and crew breakdown and the, the screener discs for the first three episodes of Universe. And our copy arrived in the mail last week. So uh, we're excited to have seen it, and we're going to be talking about it a ton over the next few weeks. We're working on a review. And uh, if you want to see what the press kit looks like, if you haven't seen it online yet, we took some pretty pictures. All props to Sci-Fi Channel for putting this thing together. This they press did a good kit job. is really outstanding. These things go out for uh, the purpose of, of getting mainstream media, getting their attention, and getting them to cover the show. And I yep. think they did a great job. They obviously spent a lot of money on them. So we'll be working on our review over the course of the next week or so. And in the meantime, we've posted some first impressions of the show, of the first episodes of Stargate Universe, if you want to check that out on the site. If you're a fan of the Fandemonium SG-1 and Atlantis novels, this will pique your interest. Fandemonium is going to be going with Universe as well. They're going to be doing tie-in novels. They announced this uh, this past week. The first in the series will be the novelization of Air, just like the first in the Atlantis series was the novelization of Rising. The novelization is written by James Swallow based on the script from SGU creators Brad Wright and Robert Cooper and expect that in November. This will be interesting to see what the future universe novels are like because as you just said to me a minute ago, the show is so arc-driven. How are they going to fit stories in the middle of that? Yeah, every episode goes from one to the other. You're not going to have an episode on TV where, wait a minute, I missed a whole bunch of stuff, only so that it can make way for that novel that goes in between those episodes. So the novel's going to have a really tricky balance of introducing its own issues and then wrapping it, it up somehow so as not to yeah. expect the characters to refer to it on screen in the subsequent episodes. Yeah, obviously. More, more isolated stories, probably, with these characters, I would guess. And we previously reported that Stargate Universe is going to be available for download on iTunes. Now GateWorld has learned from MGM that the show will also be available on Hulu each week. That's free, ad-supported, and legal in the United States. Hulu.com currently has episodes of Stargate SG-1 and Atlantis, but uh, Universe is going to be brand new episodes as they air. You'll see them on Sci-Fi on Friday, and then they'll be available starting the next day at Hulu.com. 
And they're going to have five new episodes at a time. So when episode six airs, episode number one will fall off. It's a nice way to keep up, though. How much do you think the studio gets, percentage-wise, of the um, advertising dollars generated by Hulu's commercials? I don't even have a guess, you know? Zero. Really? It is zero percent. That would have been my first guess, if you made me guess. Yeah. As I, I get the impression that studios use it, by and large, for promotion. Which is why I hate these shows that make you wait eight days to see the new episode. Because when I'm watching an arc-driven show, and I miss one, I need to go see it online. Otherwise, I'm deliberately going to tune out the following week. And not watch the next episode on television, because I will have missed one. Gateworld Features. Expect the screen capture gallery this week to include SG-1 Season 10. We've finally gotten to the end of SG-1, and uh, we've included all the special features that go along with it for this week's edition. And next week, expect Arc of Truth and Continuum the same week. So we'll be just right on track for Stargate Universe. And hopefully Omnipedia news story updates every single week. Omnipedia, back in the habit. And there is one more installment of our summer series, the Friday Five, coming at you in the next few days. It might be this week, it might be next week, depending on my internet access once I get over to merry old Scotland. But uh, we have one more installment, and then it's kaput until next summer. I've had a ton of fun with this, and we've gotten some awesome ideas, suggestions that we've done from readers. So if you've got more ideas for Top 5 Countdowns, we may do them occasionally through the, the winter and spring, but I hope to bring it back as a regular series next summer. Our interview with Joe Flanagan is heading your way very soon. We pick up with Joe where we left off. In fact, that's the title of the interview, where we left off from uh, our meeting with him this past spring. We asked the questions that we wanted to ask this past spring and uh, cover a little bit more. We, we tread a little bit of the same ground in the middle so that uh, if you attach these interviews together in the middle, there's some consistency there. But uh, he gave us about 15 minutes of his time. It was a really good chat. Good to see him again. I did speak with somebody specifically at MGM about that. And they said, well, the SGN1 movies did well. And then oh, yeah. Sci-Fi wanted to be part of this. And, they, and so what they tried to do is they did it with Caprica. Yeah. And... I think we sold something on the tune of like 500,000 units and Caprica only sold 35,000 units. MGM was reading that as a disastrous downturn in the DVD market. I was telling them I don't think that's a good economic model at all because I don't think Caprica has any brand recognition like Stargate does. Nor do I think they have an existing fan base like Stargate does. Mm -hmm. So... I urge them to reconsider that model because I don't think that's an accurate model of the DVD market. There may be a 15 to 20% drop in sales because of what's going on, but it's not going to be anywhere close to that. Um, and But that's the model they're looking at. So the, the way they see it, I think, is is, is uh, not good. Now, if the I, I don't know if the show their new show comes out and does well. Um, I don't know how that would affect the movies. Thanks to Joe for that, and thanks to Creation Entertainment once again for helping us to arrange it. The main discussion. Once again, our main discussion topic tonight is Stargate The Ark of Truth, the first DVD movie that was released following the 10th and final season of the television series. 
And this is nice. We've been doing SG-1 history all summer long, and as the summer wraps up, we're wrapping up SG-1. Yeah, it's been quite a long journey, but uh, I'm glad we're ending it with uh, this podcast. So it's, uh, it's been a long time coming, and I've enjoyed marching through this series with you, but... Uh, you know, when it's got to end, it's got to end. Again, we already did Continuum when it first came out. We were podcasting. We have a great big Continuum show that we can post a link to. So we will move on into Atlantis when Stargate Universe goes on break. But uh, today, it's the Ark of Truth. And when this movie first came out, I liked it a lot. In mm. all honesty, I liked it a lot. It had a fantastic theatrical feel to it with the wide scoping shots and the the major plotline moving forward and wrapping up and Joel Goldsmith's more epic score. I liked it a lot. It wasn't perfect for me. And uh, I'm not sure how much this one holds up when you put it up next to Stargate Continuum, which maybe is not fair. The movies are doing two very different things. This one had a lot of baggage uh, to to, uh, wrap up. This one is wrapping up a show that was ended prematurely with a storyline that half the people liked and half the people didn't, uh, the fans. The Ori storyline? The Ori storyline. Yeah. You cannot satisfactorily wrap up that storyline in 90 minutes. Especially when you reintroduce an enemy that's been destroyed for a very long time to suck up at least half an hour of that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so the film has a lot of problems from the story concept. But it is shot very well. Rob Cooper mops up the floor once again. He proves that he is a great director. Yeah. The score is probably my favorite Joel Goldsmith score. The score is my favorite part of this film. I listen to it all the time. And you know, it has great visual effects. But, you know, when the core of the story is, like Shirt and Ty loves to point out, your enemy is defeated by a box. It can only be so successful. It does. It it puts a limit on the satisfaction level because uh, a lot of the reasons why I've loved SG One over the years is the the cleverness of it, the cleverness of the team's solutions, getting out of tight binds, uh, facing advanced alien technology, facing the Gould and their ships and their their uh, staff weapons with just little modern day with modern day Earth technology. And as we've talked about in the last few podcasts, SG-1 sort of drifts away from that more and more in its final years and relied on there is a piece of advanced technology, usually ancient, that we have to go out and find. And once we Mm -hmm. find it, it will solve our problems. Mm -hmm. We just have to figure out where it is. And this Ark of Truth is the example par excellence of that approach. The Ark of Truth is the solution to the problem in a box. You know, when they introduced Adria, I assumed that that was their eventual out. Because Adria comes along, and she's complicit with the Ori. She knows the score. She knows exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, you know, if she were to ascend, the Ori would not share their power with her. Hmm. So at some point, she's going to have to realize this, that she's screwed if she ever ascended. And she's going to come over our side, and she's going to help us win. (laughs) But they never did that. Um, and I thought it would have made a much more interesting character when they made that switch. But Well, what did they do instead? Know, we wiped out the Ori with the Ascended Destroyer. Mm-hmm. Then Adria turned into a glowy thing, and uh, the Ancients didn't stop her from passing through their territory. At the end of the Shroud in Season 10, Daniel sends the 
weapon created by Merlin that kills ascended beings through the Supergate to the Ori home galaxy, set on a countdown. And we're told earlier, we're told in Dominion that it didn't work. I think Adria tells Vala that it didn't work. And then at the end of the episode, Ball symbiote takes over Adria and says it did work. So mm. as we exit season 10 and enter the Ark of Truth, we were left with a big question mark. Are the Ori even out there anymore? Did it work? And we find out once and for all that it did work. We, we wiped out all of the Ori, and Adria ascended. When she ascended and went back to her, her home galaxy, the Ori galaxy, she was it. Yeah. She was the only ascended one left, so she got yep. all the super mojo juice from the worshippers. <laughs> mojo juice that apparently you can't store like a battery. As soon as you kill it, it's immediately gone. Morgan Le Fay was immediately able to combat her and occupy her for all eternity. Mm-hmm. I saw that one coming from a mile away. After the worshippers were no longer yeah. believers? No longer worshipping. I mean, as soon as I saw Morgan got involved in the script, I said, oh, this is going to be a repeat of Threads. And I was really, really hoping mm-hmm. it was With Oma yeah. and Anubis. Oma and Anubis, yeah. All we have to do is figure out how to get Oma and Anubis and Adria and Morgan close together and then swap so that Anubis will be fighting Adria and <laughs> and, and Oma will be free to go. Yeah. We have to make Anubis really, really mad at Adria for some reason. <laughs> I actually found that to be a, a pleasant surprise. I liked the idea at the end that Morgan sacrificed herself. She yeah. had been very friendly to us, very friendly to SG-1 and to Daniel since we first saw her in the Pegasus Project. She had had enough, just like we had. She she basically did what, what Oma did. She knew that the only way to get this superpowered threat out of the way was to basically keep her locked in combat for all time. And uh, there's a visual effect of the two women turning into their energy forms and colliding and spiraling yes. up through the ceiling. Yes. And we so we specifically asked Rob Cooper, who wrote and directed Ark of Truth, is that what we saw? Are they locked in mortal combat for all time? And he's, he confirmed that, yes, that that's what he intended. But yeah, we killed the Ori, and uh, we find out in Ark of Truth that it worked. And I was hugely disappointed. I was hugely really? disappointed. The, the big super bad guys I mean we saw the big wall of fire in Origin in season mm-hmm. 9 mm-hmm. and uh, I was hoping that we were going to see more and more and more and more and instead we saw the people who were were their priests, the priors and the doci, the pope of the Ori, we saw their followers <laughs> and their armies and we saw Adria and we heard from Orlin uh, how evil the Ori were and what their mm-hmm. plans really were and they were big fat liars uh, mm-hmm. we never saw them again they were the big threat. They were the ones that we were going after with Merlin's weapon. We never saw them again, so they were never really a present threat. I mean, they were sort of yin and yang. They were just as absent of a threat as the ancients are absent of an ally. Hi, this is Scott Kassaurus. I'm from Eames, Iowa. I'm calling about my thoughts on Ark of Truth. I really like the movie generally. I really like the parts with Adria and Morgan Le Fay, and thought there was a nice tie-in to how they did the Ascended, like Anubis. The one thing I really didn't like about the Ark of Truth was the Terminator-type replicator at the end that fought Mitchell, and I just thought that was way over the top, and it really didn't sit well with me. You know, I liked the action part of it. It does seem, I mean, even Ben jokes about the fact that he's he's basically the biggest contribution that he has ever made as a a punching bag, (laughs) until Stargate Continuum, of course. When Merrick melts away and the replicator skeletal frame emerges, I mean, of course you're going to think Terminator. Yeah. Uh, M- Michelle Coleman's in the DVD references Terminator. So 
uh, I, th I thought it was well done. I liked seeing the replicators again. They would not have been my first choice. But I liked that they were back and that they were done well and that Joel had the opportunity to do his replicator score with an, with an orchestra. It had a very, uh, it had a more matured sound to it and I really enjoy hearing that version of it. I like the replicators and I like the bug form. Um, I, as much as Atlantis had been doing replicators at this point, I was feeling that the human form replicators were a little tedious, but we hadn't seen the, the tried and true spider replicators in a long time. And that was cool to see again. You know, it makes me wish that, that they had gone ahead and done a replicator movie. I would have been okay with that if it was, especially if it was bug form uh, replicators. I don't know. They've uh, always been so mindless. If there was a sufficient story to, to support it. Um, but I've, I've got to agree with a lot of people who criticize this sort of B-plot. It, it fits. It makes sense why Merrick chose to do this. The IOA has this... Uh, super secret backup plan where oh we yeah take if the they Odyssey. could release this scourge on the Ori, that would be pretty sweet yeah so if we cannot stop their ships and their followers who are bent on on conquering our galaxy then if we can release replicators in their galaxy and keep them busy then it it uh it justifies the risk of letting the replicators out there again recreating them after we've wiped them out story-wise it makes sense and it's a really interesting thing for the ioa to do um Interesting from a story point, uh, as far as the IOA goes, they're they're idiots. Mm -hmm. What a dumb thing to do! But um, to from a writing standpoint, a story standpoint, that B story took up a lot of the movie. It's also the closest that the replicators have ever come to being the Borg. I mean, they assimilate a human being. Yeah. So I didn't expect that. It's, we've never seen them do anything like that before. So that was different. Yeah, it was different, and the skeleton. Replicator was different. I'm not sure, thinking from a replicator's point of view, why it would be necessary. Why mm. would you reassemble in that form? Mm. Which is so awkward and, and difficult to manage. But uh, mm -hmm. that's that's aside from the point. I generally tend to agree with the people who say that the replicator stuff is cool, but just it doesn't really fit in here, and it takes too much away from... We only have 90 minutes to focus on the Ori and focus on Toman. And what is the Ark of Truth, and should we use it? Hey, Darren and David, this is Joel from Houston again. This time I'm calling in about the listener question about thoughts on Ark of Truth and whether it was a satisfying conclusion to the Season 9 and 10 Ori story arc. I personally feel that I'm happy with it and fine with it. I do personally think that it was not the best way they could have concluded that story arc, but I am okay with it. The issues I have with Ark of Truth as a conclusion are two big ones. I mean, I enjoyed it overall, but there are two big issues I have. The first issue is with them bringing back the replicators. In much the same way that I felt that bringing back Dr. Beckett in Stargate Atlantis kind of cheapened his death in Sunday, I very much felt that bringing back the replicators for this one movie cheapened their epic defeat at the end of Reckoning Part 2 in Season 8. The other issue I have with Arc of Truth is the arc itself and the moral issue of using something to make somebody believe something, even if it is the truth, and the fact that Arc of Truth only barely in a couple lines of dialogue recognizes this issue. And this is part of the main reason why Arc of Truth, in my opinion, is an okay movie, whereas Continuum is an exceptional one. I also bothered me that there were no gun holes in the walls. You know, the, all those guys were perfect shots. You know, the moral issue behind the arc, that was supposed to be addressed a little bit more. At the end of the movie, they were supposed to go to Area 51 and destroy it. They didn't. 
and, and I agree, it would have been an awkward coda. But it's it's again, it's like what they got in the later years of Atlantis. You know, they didn't really spend time asking the question, is this right or is this wrong? Uh, and just got to the action adventure part because that's more fun. That's always gotten to me. I've, I've never kept that a secret. And I don't think that you can really make a good argument that there wasn't room for the moral issue in this in this movie. It was an action-adventure movie, and so in that sense, it, it can't necessarily be too much of a talkie. But if you decide not to do the replicators as the B-plot, then there's tons and tons of space to have the characters wrestle with this. Um, and you can still have action-adventure. I wish that we had seen more Ori space battle stuff. Mm-hmm. More of the Ori, you know, they figure out what the Odyssey is doing and are relentlessly pursuing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, we sort of got they they find the Odyssey and jump in and start shooting, and the Odyssey leaves. And then there's a mm-hmm. space there's a space battle that's part of the climax at the end. Well, it's more of us just being shot at. <laughs> yeah, being shot at as we're trying to regain control of our ship. Yeah. But um, yeah, I really, really wanted to see Daniel, especially, uh, voice his concerns. I mean, it's in there. There's a line or two of dialogue about the moral implications of using something like the Ark of Truth. Basically, you program it with what you want someone to believe, get them to look at the shiny light, and they will believe it. It's a brainwashing device. And it can be used for evil or it can be used for good. And and just because you happen to be brainwashing someone with the truth, which with what we hold to be our values, doesn't necessarily make it the right thing to do. And I know. We, I mean, I think... If I'm remembering the movie right, there's a little bit of that at the beginning, when we see the Alterans ages and ages ago, with the creator of the Ark of Truth, and there's a, a debate over whether or not it should be used. And the ancients rightly decided that they were not the sort of people who wanted to do this. They mm-hmm. would rather leave than brainwash their enemy, or go to war with their enemy. And millions of years later, in a substantial amount of bloodshed later, uh, we say, okay, it's enough is enough. There's no pilot here. There's no character asking what is truth. <laughs> Paul, a.k.a. Pharaoh Atem, says, How did I feel about the Ark of Truth? One word? Replicator. I didn't see that coming, which is nice to see from a show that has been on TV for ten years. Overall, Ark of Truth was a much more satisfying ending to the series than unending. You didn't know the Replicators were going to be in it either, did you? I don't think I did, no. That was a, it was a pleasant surprise. Stargate World's got a uh, a preview copy. We saw it a few months before the film came out. When the movie stuff started coming out about a month before with the magazine, I opened it up and there were replicator blocks in that magazine. I was like, holy yeah. cow. I'm glad I have already seen the movie. Otherwise, That's I would have been bad. mad. This is why you stay away from stuff. Yeah. <laughs> to keep from being spoiled. Chaos Knight 13 says the inclusion of the replicator. Everyone's talking about the replicators. Mm-hmm. It was something I could have lived without. When the lovely Morena Baccarin was only available for one day, they had to fill the movie with something. What she did bring to Ark of Truth was her most defining moments as Adria, and those moments brought the true wrath of the character that weren't seen in SG-1. Had the powers that be had more time with Morena, I'm sure her role could have been greatly increased, and her new position all the more epic. This is a true story. Robert Cooper was trying to get Morena Baccarin to, to come back as Adria, she had a busy shooting schedule and could, could come to Vancouver for a day. So they decided wow. that one day was better than nothing. So they confined all of her scenes to this one room uh, with Vala and shot for a day and shot into the wee 
morning hours. That's all that they had with her. Yep. Is that why they introduced the replicator stuff? I don't think so. I think that the okay. intention was to do replicators even even without more days of shooting for okay. Marina. But what did you think? Is this is this Adria at her very best? I always wanted there to be resolution uh, between Adria and Vala. I mean, the reason that I thought, and the reason that Daniel largely thought too, that uh, that was an excellent choice for Vala being on the team is because she was the mother of the Orisai and could hopefully at some point uh, garner leverage with mm-hmm. with Adria. That was the intent. She was to be fulfilling her role by doing that, and it never happened. I mean, Vala disowned her in Dominion, essentially, and Adria took that to heart and uh, completely closed her heart to her mother. Mm. So that that was disappointing. Um, but, you know, when you only have her for one day, I'm glad that they gave her the gave the two women the exchange that they had. You know, Vala yeah. did distract her a little bit. It's important, so... important exchange, important stuff going on in that scene. But... Um... She was, you're right, she wasn't really daughter at that point anymore, in my mind. She was super-powered villain floating around in, in her fiery little, little... fiery flame. I love that visual effect. That may be yes. my favorite visual effect of the film, is when she's skipping around yes. Vala in flames. That's yeah. really cool. Other than that, you know, she talked a lot and, and made threats and didn't, herself, as a character, didn't do a lot in the movie. And then Morgan kicked her ass. Star Lover says, It's a good movie with some interesting character moments, especially the moment between Teal'c and Toman on the spaceship is very yes. strong. It made Toman a more interesting character to me, and it gave Teal'c even more depth. But other than that, the movie was okay, and that's it. I found the Ori storyline being rushed to a conclusion. I expected a more spectacular ending. I hoped to, in the end, still see a battle between the Ancients and the Ori. You know, I always hoped for years and years and years a shot, exterior space, something like fireworks. We we kind of get it with these two, but in terms of a grand scale of, of ancients battling Ori. I think they would have had to, to tell the story in season 10 differently, not kill the Ori, but have them eventually, you know, have enough worshippers in the Milky Way galaxy that they come here themselves in order to have a conflict between the Ori and the ancients. Mm-hmm on the Ascended Plane. Mm-hmm. The Ori had to come here, because they're spatially separated being in different galaxies. And we know it's true to the Ancients' character, especially as they were set up at the beginning of the Ark of Truth when they were the Alterans, pre-Ascension. Pacifist. They're pacifists. They would rather leave. They, they mm-hmm. abandoned their home and everything they knew and went and resettled in a new galaxy to avoid conflict with the Ori. Toman, Tim Guinea he livens up anything that he's in his scenes were a lot of my favorites that scene with him and Teal'c was fantastic it shows everything that Teal'c is and it shows what Toman is to become yeah um, it's, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie by far and the di- the direction that they leave his character at the very end though it does conclude a lot is still open-ended and at the same time is satisfying we don't need to necessarily know what happens to this guy I get the impression that he could still be a follower of origin. This, this is his his religious faith has always been fundamental to who he is mm-hmm. as a character, and you know he railed at the prior in mm-hmm. uh, line in the sand that the prior had had you know taken something that was was uh, that he loved and that was beautiful and had twisted it for an evil agenda, and. Uh, that's that that episode line in the sand was was my favorite for Toman in his character direction, and mm. it continues right on in here when he literally turns 
and uh, comes over to our side and helps us defeat that uh, that evil. But it's his his religious beliefs are still there. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. He lost his gods, but he didn't necessarily lose his religion, which is interesting. I mean, if if I mean, think about that for a second. If if you found out that Christ was a phony, could you still look at your Bible the same? No. But I do think that, that Tilk is the only one who can really come and have this conversation mm. with Toman. That's why I love it so much, is is every word that Tilk has to say uh, comes from ten years of rich history of Tilk's character that we know. It goes back to Korai in season one. Yes. It goes back to Children of the Gods. Yes. When when Tilk first turns against the ghoul, he's he knows exactly where Toman is. Mm-hmm. In this this uh, emotional pit of hell, and he's the only one who can speak directly to it. Yes, I completely agree. I watched rewatched Korai the other day. It still holds up after all these years. Yeah. So nine one one nine. I hated this movie with a passion. It felt wow. horribly tacked on, and the addition of the replicators as an anti ori weapon, while creative and interesting in theory, was carried out quite poorly, with little logic and even less respect to the tendencies and abilities of the bugs that we had come to see in previous installments of SG-1. In all fairness, I think that the bugs were a dumbed-down version. Weren't mm-hmm. they? Weren't they stripped of, of a lot of what the originals had? I don't think there's really any way to tell. I mean, I am appalled that the Asgard computer was capable of generating one and generating a replicator to, that that was programmed with its primary directive to replicate. Uh... Hello? <laughs> I can't believe that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what, what was on that crystal that Merrick had? I mean, was it, was it instructions to, to ask the computer to make this? I think it was either. I would guess that that sort of, of dangerous technology, if it is stored inside the, the Asgard computer core, is under lock and key. Yeah. And this was probably the, the, lock, the key to the lock okay. to get the computer to do this. Yeah. Um, either that or maybe it contained the program itself. Maybe the program yeah. wasn't in the computer core. But then where I, did they get it from? I'm glad the Asgard core was featured in this film. I mean, it was something that we were just left with and unending. It is something huge. It is huge. It is the Asgard legacy. It's, it's something that we have been asking them for a long time, and they have denied us and denied us and denied us. And I really, really hope that it's not abandoned. Uh, at this point. I fear it is, but I hope it's not abandoned in future stories. Yeah. Because what does that mean? What does that mean for us? We can now create anything that we want. Shell DB says, I thought the movie was brilliant. I actually did love the way the Ori were finished off. I never liked the Ori, but to see the priors and followers realize how duped they had been was priceless. I loved it. I love the graphics and the music, and I love the replicators. They were by far the best. I was quite satisfied with the movie and how it ended the Ori arc. What do you think of the conclusion of this this movie? She says that uh, she liked the way that the priors and the followers of the Ori realized that they had been duped. So we get the Ark of Truth uh, in Adria's chamber, and we get it open when the Dosai happens to be in the room, and the light hits the Dosai, and the Dosai... Automatically starts communicating. Transmits it to all the Priors via their staffs, and then the light continues to go out through the Prior staffs to all the planets with all the Ori worshippers. Yeah. And, and 
brainwashes them. You know, as soon as Morgan said, the crystals in their staffs are linked, I was like, oh, really? <laughs> I wanted a coda with the docile. Uh, Julian Sands, I, I, I feel like he was duped. You know, he had a great appearance in Origin. I loved the entrance of the Dosai. And then we see the Dosai here, and he's basically just there to provide a couple of kung fu moves and throw people around the room and then cry like a baby. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to see more from that. Because I'm a fan of the Ori arc. I liked it. Mm -hmm. I liked the Ori arc. Sue me. I liked it. I liked it, too. And that's the one of my favorite characters from the Ori arc. I liked the Dosa. I, I liked how he was not that just he he was just dur and and so dark and evil, but he had this he had he was like a black hole. He had this gravitas about him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as much as I like to see the wrap up and and see uh, obviously the good guys win and the bad yeah. guys who have been killing and murdering and and wiping out civilizations that that don't worship the same way they do, don't worship their their gods. Uh, mm -hmm. It's it's satisfying in that it is an end, but uh, the, just the immediacy of it, the instantaneous transformation of a galaxy full of people, fundamental religious beliefs. I mean, if this was the Milky Way galaxy, fine. Most of the planets in the Milky Way galaxy had been converted by force. They had been threatened with plagues. They had been they'd had you know ships, the Ori motherships, park in orbit and train their guns on them. We saw Dakara destroyed. Uh, we saw the R-75 insects. But, you know, in the Ori's home galaxy, these planets and planets with uh, civilizations of, of humans had been worshipping them for generations, potentially thousands of years or more. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, there's a lot more to religion and, and religious belief and the impact that that has on a culture over the course of that long a span of time this is this is fundamental this is architectonic of a of a cultural change and it was it was too instantaneous for me do you yeah. think that they should have done this in the television series that they should have ended season 10 with the wrap up of the aura no there well there wasn't enough time i mean but season 11 was going to be about once again the search for insert item uh, and this time would have been the arc of it would have been the arc of truth. Well, arc of truth, I like it. I like this movie. It's uh, it it's not perfect. It had a lot of things to do, a lot of hats to wear. It had to wrap up the series uh, in ninety minutes, which is tough when you expected to have a season eleven when yeah. you were exiting season ten. Uh, it, it's a good one. I like Continuum better um, because Continuum, I think, was was free of a lot of this, and and it would have been interesting to see. Rob Cooper's first SG-1 movie if it, if it was something else yes. that, that did not necessarily have to tell so much story in such a small frame of time. I would love to slip into an alternate reality where sci-fi hadn't cancelled Stargate at the end of season 10 and seen what that season 11 looked like. Uh, I would love to do that because, I mean, if alternate realities are real, then season 11 is out there somewhere. You're listening to the GateWorld Podcast. Thanks to everybody for contributing to this week's conversation on Stargate SG-1, The Arc of Truth. And we're getting ready to gear up to talk about Stargate Universe each and every week on the podcast. Next week's show 
is on the eve of SGU. This is our final thoughts, our final wrap-up before we actually sit down and watch Air, parts one and two. And how often are we going to be able to say this? We've already talked about it, and it was a good discussion. We had fun. We recorded it early. <laughs> yeah, we've already done it. Tune in. It's, it's great. I know it's great. <laughs> it's a good show, but uh, there's still time for you to be part of it. Obviously, yes. we can't necessarily interact with your comments, but we want to get your comments on the air. So call the podcast hotline this week. This week's question is, what does Stargate Universe need to do to keep you watching beyond the premiere? And this is tricky. This is the only, this and our, our two uh, Stargate Universe premiere episodes, Air 1 and 2, and then Air Part 3, we are only going to accept voicemails. So you can certainly write in your comments in the forum, but they will not be read on air because Darren and I will not be here to read them. We've already recorded these shows. The only way that you're going to get your comments on air is to go through voicemail. So you can call us at 616-712-1647 and uh, get your comments on air that way. I will be obviously collecting them, uh, but Darren and I will not be around to uh, read the comments that you post in the forum. Yep. So, I will be. We have recorded the sh- the next couple shows, but I am yep. in Scotland searching yep. out my internet connectivity so that we can continue recording when future episodes of SGU get here later in October. Um, I really want to hear from a lot of people on this one. I yes. want to get a lot of voicemails on this because from now on, after next week's show, we're only talking about the episode of the week for the yep. next for the next ten weeks or so. Yep. So uh, this this is a big question to me going into the premiere of the third Stargate television series. What does SGU need to do for you in order to keep you watching past air? I know there are a few of you on the forum who have only been posting on the forum, making us read them every week. And I know you've thought, you know, oh, maybe I should call in uh, one of these days. This is your time. So do it. This is your time. That's right. There's a song like that. This is your time. Michael W. Smith. I was thinking about something else. Well, that's our September 30th show on the eve of SGU, and then October 7th is our first show after the October 2nd premiere of Stargate Universe. So we're talking about Air Parts 1 and 2, and then we'll be back on October 14th to talk about Part 3. And they're all good, too. (laughs) Good podcasts. First time we've ever been caught up on a complete list of shows on the radar. Yep. Including the one we're talking about now. Yep. It feels kind of nice. It was a hell of a week, but it feels nice. I know. It's been so crazy. (laughs) I really appreciate your uh, willingness to do all that. You're welcome. And the shows will be easier and nicer to do uh, without doing all the news and features. Mm Mm-hmm. Are you going to close this out? Let's close it out. That's our show for this week. Thanks once again for tuning in to the podcast. In this episode, we talked about Stargate the Ark of Truth. Good movie. We also gave you a preview of our interview with actor Joe Flanagan. Look for that on the site in just a few days. And if you want links to anything that we talked about today, just go to GateWorld.net and look for the episode 61 show notes. We always appreciate your feedback, except for the next three weeks, we'll only be accepting, again, voicemail feedback. So call us 616-712-1647, and uh, we'll hear you on the show. Sounds good. Sounds good. David, be well, my friend. Darren, uh, uh, don't swim. Fly. Across the Atlantic? Yes, I think. That's right. I'll see you on the other side. Later. Later.